Jason Woods here, and this is the Little Big Med Podcast, where we're talking little patients, but big medicine. This week, I'm releasing a short overview of what pediatric healthcare providers need to know about vaping. Dr. Heather Hoke is an assistant professor of pediatrics and pediatric pulmonology at the Children's Hospital Colorado and University of Colorado School of Medicine. I invited her on to give us a crash course in vaping and the associated health risks, as well as terminology and devices. Since it's not something that I really know much about and has been getting a lot of press, I thought this was timely. Now, we recorded this several months ago before the string of vaping associated severe lung diseases began to get national attention. So we don't talk about that today, but I still think this is great content. I'm not, I don't think a very cool person. And so I don't know that I understand any of the terminology. What is vaping and what are e-cigarettes and are there other terms that we need to know? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I started learning about this kind of out of necessity when we got information about the epidemic of teen use of these kinds of devices, both in Colorado and across the country. And so as I started learning more about it, I realized that there is so much that we don't know as providers about how we should be talking to kids and their families about these kinds of devices. So, Kids will use any number of terms to describe vaping. They'll say things like juuling, e-cigs, cloud chasing, hookah pens. Uh, there's all kinds of different things they're using, and it, it changes on a regular basis. Um, so it can be really challenging for providers to actually be asking the right questions to screen their patients for the use of these kinds of devices. And are they all referring to essentially the same style of device? It's something that, that will vaporize a, a liquid, whatever that liquid is? Essentially, yes. Okay. So basically, it is a vape liquid, most of which contain nicotine and any number of other chemicals. They then uh, heat it over a coil and then inhale the vapor. And so Juul is the most popular among adolescents. It's most commonly used. It looks kind of like a little USB drive that you can actually plug right into your computer. It, and do you think it's the most popular because it's easily concealed and it, it looks like a USB drive rather than obviously being a vaping pen? Absolutely. I mean, we okay. hear from teachers that they're really hard to distinguish. So they will be turning their backs from the class to write up on the board or um, talk to other students and kids can actually vape in class and stick it right back into their computers <laughs> without their knowledge. So it's it's pretty easily concealed. And I, I do wonder if that was part of why it became very popular among teenagers. But we're finding that these devices can look like just about anything. We've seen ones that look like pens. We've seen ones that look like, unfortunately, inhalers. There's one out there now that looks like an actual medical inhaler. We're also seeing an, a rise in vapeware is what it's called. So you've seen it marketed where people can wear hoodies, where the vape pen actually um, sits in one of the pockets of the hoodie, and you can actually smoke it through the cords of the hoodie um, without teachers knowing. So there's a variety of ways that kids have learned to kind of conceal yeah, the I'm use of these I'm impressed by the things. creativity. Yeah. Um, do... So... I, I was going to ask this later, but we'll just jump to it right now. Uh, so when marijuana was was initially legalized here in Colorado, there were a lot of issues where things were specifically made and branded and looked as if they were candies or meant for children. And it led to some regulation about what the devices were allowed to look like and how they had to be labeled. Is there any similar push or change for things like these devices probably shouldn't look like medical inhalers or the USB drives? Yeah, it's a great question. To my knowledge, there hasn't been a push about the way the devices themselves look, but the liquids themselves 
themselves. There definitely has been increasing interest by the FDA to make sure that they don't look like things that could be confused for other food products. It used to be that there were um, more availability of ones that looked like candy sprays that you've seen before. There's even ones that looked like an apple juice box. I heard of one recently where it actually looks like cold medicine. So they're trying to start to crack down on those kinds of, of marketing techniques so that they, you know, hopefully can decrease accidental ingestions and things like that. But I think in terms of how the devices actually look, I haven't heard that there's been much push in that direction. Are they age regulated like cigarettes? Do you have to be over 18 technically to buy these? Yes, you do have to be over 18 to buy these, but clearly kids are finding right. ways around that rule. You know, we hear things like they'll have them ordered and delivered to Amazon lockers, or they will have them picked up by an older friend as well, and then delivered out to to people in the community. So, you know, clearly kids are finding ways around those rules, but technically you're supposed to be over 18 to be able to purchase them. Are the majority of the products that they're smoking with them contain nicotine or, or what else are we dealing with? Yeah, the vast majority contain nicotine. You know, kids can modify them to smoke marijuana through them as well. And so it's hard to know at what rates kids are using those types of devices. But the majority of the products on the market contain nicotine and, and Juul, which as I mentioned, is the most popular of those products, does contain nicotine as well. Okay. And in relatively high levels, it's a nicotine salt that is more kind of calming to the air airways than, than some of the other uh, vape devices. And so that's another reason why I think kids are gravitating towards that is it's a, it's, it's a less harsh smoking experience. And that's why they've potentially been able to corner that market too. I, what I really care about is less sort of the social implications of uh, this is a new way to get nicotine rather than cigarettes and more what this actually means from a health standpoint. So do we know of any objectively defined risks of vaping? And is there any data that I can actually, if I'm talking with a parent or a kid or another provider, say that's truthful about what's bad? Yeah. So... You know, it's, it's a little bit of a tough situation because we don't have good long-term safety data on these kinds of devices because they are just so new. But what we do know is that there are a variety of chemicals that we fear are potentially dangerous to the lungs and to the developing brains. So, I mean, the first off is just the amount of nicotine that these kids are getting to their systems. We know that that has effects on the developing adolescent brain. Kids are, are remarkably susceptible to addiction in that time frame, in that, you know, adolescent to early adult years. And we know it has effects on uh, the adolescent brain and potentially your risk for future addiction to other substances. The other thing that's pretty scary is that we see that there's data that suggests that kids who initiate e-cigarette use, there were not previously cigarette smokers, have a higher risk of then going on to develop cigarette, combustible cigarette use. So, you know, we've been doing pretty great things with combating the, the epidemic of cigarette use in that population. We had seen falling levels of combustible cigarette use. We're worried we're going to start to see those levels start to rise again. And we all know the, the implications of health implications of cigarette use. So those are some concerns. I think there's a lot of other concerns that we, we think likely have some sort of health implications for kids and for anyone who inhales these cigarette liquid. A lot of the flavoring chemicals that are used have been approved for use orally. So they're approved for use in, you know, food products, but they're not approved for use when you inhale them. So, right. you know, when we think about the chemicals, for instance, that are used in microwave popcorn, we used to see, we called it popcorn lung for a reason that we saw bronchiolitis obliterans from the chemicals that workers were inhaling from microwave popcorn. Really? Mm -hmm. I, this is news to me. I did yeah, not know. Yeah. So when we see similar chemicals in a lot of the e-cigarette okay. liquids. So I think there's an explosion of research going on, which is great in terms of the actual cell level effect 
effects of these kinds of, of liquids. But I think we, there's still a lot we just don't know. And again, you know, the, the point that concerns me is I, I always tell parents, your kids should not be breathing anything in but good, clean air. And so there's this perception that e-cigarettes are, are safe. The other things that they're inhaling to their lungs at the levels that they're inhaling them, which is pretty shocking in some, some scenarios, how much these kids are using these devices. We just don't know the long-term health effects and we worry that they may be dire. Yeah, th- this has been my big worry when we don't have a lot of data on this because it's relatively new, but pretty much over and over again for the last several decades, every time somebody is exposed to a, a concentrated amount of an inhaled almost anything, there end up being health risks to it. So what else is on the list of stuff that we should worry about other than potential for future addiction and then sort of whatever the in- inhalational effects are? My biggest worry is that we now have a huge portion of our adolescent population that's using these devices. I mean, truly the FDA has called it an epidemic. Here in Colorado, the data suggests that up to a third of 12th graders are saying that they are current users of e-cigarette products. My biggest concern is that we are creating a generation of kids that are addicted to nicotine. They're going to continue to find it in whatever means they can, whether that be smokeless tobacco, combustible cigarettes, or continued e-cigarette use. And and the problem is we just don't know what the long-term effects of, of those things are going to be in I, those kids who had never picked up a cigarette before this. Do you know of any ongoing advocacy or regulatory efforts that either you're involved in or, or are a big bigger push nationally? Yeah. So there's been a lot of pushes here in Colorado because unfortunately we do lead the nation in e-cigarette use, at least as the most current data that we have. And so there's been a lot of pushes from an advocacy standpoint to add e-cigarettes to the Clean Indoor Air Act here in Colorado. There's also been a push to strengthen the limitations on age restrictions. So making it harder for kids under 18 to get their hands on these kinds of devices. And then nationally, there's been a push to limit the flavoring availability, um, especially flavors that appeal to kids more. Things like, you know, bubble gum and mango and things like that. Because that regulation already exists for combustible cigarettes, mm-hmm. right? It was one of the reasons why cloves are, are no longer readily available in the United States is that they, they're considered flavored, smokable tobacco products, which are partly because of the attractiveness and partly because of the likelihood of younger people starting to use them, that that is already a regulation for for the the standard combustible cigarettes, and I don't know why it wouldn't be the same for for e-cigarettes. Other than we just the regulations haven't caught up yet. Yeah, I think that's my best guess. Is that you know I think we caught ourselves a little bit behind the eight ball here that we all of a sudden saw this explosion of use. I mean, in in the surveys that were conducted, there was the biggest increase in youth substance use they've ever recorded in I think forty four years of of doing these types of surveys. So you know I think. I think we're, we're kind of struggling to kind of play a little bit of catch up now with, right. with regulations and advocacy in that way. Anything else that you want the general population of docs to know about these or, or things that you're seeing coming up on the horizon? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is just really having a conversation with parents, having a conversation with kids and starting earlier than you actually think you would need to. Like, I, as I mentioned, you know, we're seeing this more and more in the middle school age range. So I'm starting to talk to my patients when they're in their late elementary school time frame, and the kids know what it is. You know, if you talk to them about vaping, they know what it is. They've seen around. Yeah, I've, I've joked with my wife that so we have a seven month old at home right now who I, I'm considering sending away to some sort of like penal colony just because I don't know how to protect her from any of this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a whole different world. Honestly, it, it is. And we, we have to kind of try our best to stay on top of these things um, as best we can. But it's tough. It's challenging, but but worthwhile doing, especially in the pediatric community. If any of the listeners out there are interested in getting involved in advocacy around this issue, do, do you have any recommendations for how to go about that? I would say contact your local chapter of your American Academy of Pediatrics. They have been really leading the charge in a lot of these kind of advocacy efforts, both 
locally and, and nationally. And then there's a lot of resources online. There's smokefree.gov and the CDC has great resources. I like the AAP resources as well because they can give you information about how to talk to your parent, how to talk to parents, how to talk to patients and what providers need to know about those kinds of things. And then, you know, I think having those resources available so that you can send kids and parents to a reputable um, source of information. Okay. That's going to be my follow-up question on. is do they include things for the patients and the parents as absolutely. well? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So there's some good education there for your families too. All right. And that's going to wrap it up for today. I really appreciate Dr. Hoke being on here with us. I'm going to leave a couple of resources in the show notes that she talked about. And hopefully this brought you up to speed on a subject that I didn't really know much about before starting to talk with Heather. I've been your host, Dr. Jason Woods. You can find me on Twitter at jwoodsmd or via email at littlepatientsbigmedicine at gmail.com. You can find the rest of the podcast series through your favorite podcasting platform or at the Little Big Med website, www.littlepatientsbigmedicine.com littlebigmed.com. Please, if you get a second, head on over to wherever you listen to this and leave us a review. It really helps others find the show. This podcast is recorded in the studios of the Digital Scholarship Accelerator at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. 